I was driving my son down to school and I was listening to the song. And as the song was building, 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 I was watching this airplane take off from the airport and it was climbing, climbing, climbing. And they almost seemed to be in sync. And right at the point the guitars made a hard right turn, the airplane made a turn. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, in my spirit, not audibly, but, but in my spirit, I heard, this is your career. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, me. Because this is the spot that I normally give a little biographical information, and since we talk about my story in, in a pretty vulnerable and authentic way, I'm at a loss for what to say here. But I will say this, I held this interview until today because today is our six-month anniversary of the date my co-host, John Ramstead, uploaded our first three episodes. It, it gets cool because in March, we saw a 41% increase in downloads, and in April, we saw a 35% increase, and, and that's all because of you. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on this journey. As a guy with a primary love language of being words of affirmation, your feedback through social media, through email, or even conversations over phone or Skype has meant the world to me. So thanks. Here's my conversation with my co-host, John Ramstead, on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on Eternal Leadership, we have a special treat. Uh, I have been looking forward to this interview as we are interviewing my co-host and good friend, Steve Ryder. So Steve, uh, we're excited to hear your whole story today. Man, I'm not sure I'm comfortable being on this side of of the interview. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I've heard your story before and you've shared parts of it. And there's yeah. just some incredibly, uh, just some great learning moments and just compelling uh, things that have happened to you. So, uh, you know, as we always do, I'd love for you to just get started. And we're just going to share with people your your background and your whole journey. Well, I was born and raised in a small town in southern Wisconsin. In fact, my parents took me to a church that was about 10 minutes away from my hometown in just outside of my mom's hometown in Rio, Wisconsin. And I, I didn't really connect with the church because there was such a spirit of legalism that just permeated everything that they did. It so alienated me that it, re it rejected the idea of church. I never rejected the idea of God, but it really... Re it, I rejected the idea of church. If that's what church was, I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I'd occasionally read my Bible, but I really got involved in the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll thing in late high school and early college. And uh, it took a near overdose from some over-the-counter amphetamines that it really snapped me back to reality that I needed to clean up my act. But notice I said I was going to clean up my act. And so I told God, I said, listen, I'm... I'm the next girl I, I sleep with. She's going to be my wife and I, I'm, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit doing drugs. In fact, I, I went hardcore straight edge and straight edge was this underground punk scene that was no sex, no promiscuous sex, no drugs. And there was also a, a, um, a vegan aspect to it. Uh, and I couldn't really give up cheeseburgers. So I wasn't going there. Yeah, I couldn't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I lived my life that way, but I, I, there was still something missing. And I was dating a girl at the time. It, this, this was December 1996. I was dating a girl really seriously. And she called me up on New Year's Eve and said, Steve, I'm 
going out with my friends for New Year's. And I said, well, what are we doing? And she said, I'm going out with my friends for New Year's. You can go decide what you want to do, because since you quit drinking, uh, you're, you're not a whole lot of fun anymore. And I was livid. I, I remember stewing in my apartment saying, where am I going? What am I doing? What, where do I want to go with my life? Here I am in Madison, Wisconsin. I saw no real prospects for me in terms of jobs. I was getting ready to finish school. The only thing I saw was a sales job at Full Compass, which is a recording studio equipment sales and 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 local radio. And, and neither of them really impressed me as something that I really wanted to do with my life. And so I finally remembered around 1146, I, I was just, I, I had had it. And I remember slamming my fist down on my desk as I was looking at my computer and I looked up in the heavens and I said, God, I'm done. I'm 100% done. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I have no idea where I'm going to go. I graduate school in a few months. I'm stuck in this dead end relationship. You know what? I'm yours. I'm 100% yours. Take me. Take my life and just go. Just do whatever you want with me. So when you offered that up to God in that moment, what did you notice? I didn't really notice anything. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I, I, I remember just still going to bed mad. The next morning I, got, I woke up and around, I think, 10 in the morning, I called my girlfriend and I said, listen, I'm done. I'm done. I have bigger dreams than Wisconsin. And you, you had a hard time moving 30 minutes away from your mom. So I, I don't see a future here. And shortly thereafter, I want to say, it was about two weeks later, I was in an AOL chat room. I was witnessing to a dude and he completely brushed me off. And this person came alongside and, and started encouraging me saying, hey, don't worry about it. I thought I'd made the perfect argument for, for why this guy needed to accept Christ. And he just blew me off. And, and this person came alongside and started encouraging me. And then we started emailing back and forth. And then she sent me a letter with a picture. And I was like, whoa, this girl is hot. And so I skipped my college graduation, went down to Oklahoma Baptist University where she was going to school, met her, fell head over heels in love. And shortly after I graduated, her dad gave me a, a buddy pass. He worked for Western Pacific Airlines at the time. He gave me a buddy pass to come out here to Colorado Springs. And I fell in love with the town. I, 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 I loved the mountains. I loved just the, the climate. I loved afternoon thunderstorms in the late summer. And it, 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 I fell in love. And when I came out here, they mentioned to me, hey, focus on the families out here. And I was like, focus on the family, focus on the family. Dr. Dobson. I remember Dr. Dobson. My mom was a big Dr. Dobson supporter. And, and, and in fact, growing up, my mom supported three ministries growing up. She supported Jim Baker and PTL. She supported Jimmy Swaggart. And she supported James Dobson and Focus on the Family. And James Dobson was the only one that didn't embarrass the faith in the 80s. And I always had a great deal of respect for him. And so, especially because when I was probably 11 or 12, my mom locked me in her bedroom and gave me Dr. Dobson's Preparing for Adolescence series and said, hey, here, you're going to listen to this. So here's a guy that, that, that taught me about adolescence, puberty. And here, here I was, there, there's an opportunity for me to go work for him. And I got a job, moved out here, 
And six weeks after I moved out here, the girl met another guy at school and dumped me. <laughs> Sweet. So you're out here. You're kind of new in the faith. Uh, you really have no uh, significant relationships. And you're starting this whole new career. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was something that, that rocked me to my core because I had every intention of uh, marrying this girl and then using a, a short time at Focus to be a springboard to bigger and better things in Los Angeles or New York or Nashville or any of those places. Every time, and after she dumped me, it was even more apparent to me that yes, this is this is the plan that I need to do. I, I, I need to buckle down and then use this opportunity to go out there to these bigger and better things at these studios out in in these major markets. So, what but, kept you in Colorado Springs? Because I know you had a very long and very successful career at Focus. Doors Matter of fact, closing. you were inducted in the uh, Broadcaster Hall of Fame. Yeah, National Radio Hall of Fame Focus. The Focus broadcast was inducted in 2008 after I had been at Focus for 11 years. 11 of their 30 years, I think, that they, they were on the air at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what kept me here in Colorado was the fact that God just kept closing doors. God really kept closing doors because I, I would try and, and get something going and it and. It would just never go anywhere. And I felt at the time a large part of it was this, oh, you're working in Christian radio. Christian radio sucks. So therefore, we're not going to hire you. Or or you work in Christian radio, thus you're a Bible thumper and we don't want your kind here in this office. It was never said that way, but that's the way I kind of, I kind of interpreted the way things shook out. But at the same time, though, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because Having all of those crutches, all of those relationships, all of having all of those relationships, all of those friendships, all of those family relationships stripped away from me in moving out here to Colorado and thus starting over from from scratch. It it drove me to a deeper relationship with God that I'd never known in Wisconsin. And to be quite frank, I'm really not sure I ever would have known. So it sounds like you developed an awareness of what's really important. What was that? The, that was really getting to know God, developing my faith, really spending time, developing good godly relationships. Because working at Focus on, on the broadcast, in the audio production department, I listened to the greatest Christian authors, the greatest Christian speakers, theologians, family experts. I learned how to be a better husband, a better father, a better citizen. And and through that, it, it really changed how I would have parented. It changed how I would have been a husband. It changed how I was a friend. It changed how I was a person in listening to all of these experts well, Steve, you know, knowing you, I know you have a wonderful and authentic personal relationship with, with Jesus and God, and it, you know, that's, that defines a lot of who you are. But, you know, starting out, you know, that, that was never modeled to you growing up in the church life that you had. So what would you share with somebody who's on that journey? They grew up, like I grew up in a church, there was no connection to a personal relationship with God, even though I was very churched and I always went to Sunday school. And, you know, same thing. I went to college. I had no 
nothing holding me back to make the decisions I made in college because I got into the whole, same scene you did, joined a fraternity and and everything. So what would you share with somebody who's maybe in that same place that's really trying to develop that personal relationship? What are some things that you found really helped you do that well? I, I think number one were those authentic relationships with those incredible people that I worked with at Focus. Mm. I mean, we would we would all hang out at lunch and eat lunch together and play games like Stratomatic or we'd we had a game called hub chucking where where we had this little reel to reel hub we taped three or four of them together and we'd roll them down this long corridor and score points and just just fun stuff of just hanging out and just living life together that that for me was honestly one of the biggest things um the second thing for me was was the mentoring that i mentioned um, as I worked up through the ranks at Focus, I, I became, quote unquote, Dr. Dobson's guy. Anytime he would travel, I would go with him. And I, I got to see him in in ways that very few people did. Um, my, my favorite doc story that I love to tell is it was a number of months after I had started as the senior engineer. I moved into the position of senior engineer that we were in Palm Desert, California. Doc and Shirley have a small two-bedroom condo in Palm Desert. And they go there to get away and write and just get away from the Colorado winters at times. And if we don't get enough done in the studio here in Colorado, we would pack up and we would do some stuff out in Palm Desert, pack up a remote recording studio. And we went out to this Mexican restaurant after spending a full day recording and Doc and Shirley saw somebody that they wanted to go say hi to. And they peeled off as we were getting ready to go for frozen yogurt at a local place. And I went to the bathroom and as I came out, Doc and Shirley were about 10 yards in front of me and I saw them holding hands. Here's a couple that have been married at the time, 48 years. They've been talking the talk behind the microphones. In my opinion, really, there is... In the last 30 years, there's no greater force for evangelical faith than James Dobson. Just as Billy Graham started to wind down his career, Dr. Dobson really took off and really started to make his mark. And so here is this stalwart of the faith, and he's holding hands with his wife of 48 years. And I got to see just how much they loved each other. And so you saw that he was the same person in private as the face that he puts in public. They were one and the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why did that strike you so deeply? I think because growing up in that legalistic environment, I saw the hypocrisy. I saw people, how they would be on Sunday. And then I would catch glimpses of them throughout the week and realize that they weren't the same person. They were very duplicitous in the way that they lived. And, and and I've seen that my entire life. I mean, you go to any church and you've got people that are one way on Sunday, but on on, on Monday through Friday, there's somebody completely different. Um, I, I've shared this story with you that when I first made the career move out of broadcasting and into financial advising, I've had a number of clients that have told me, yeah, my boss is a Christian, but the guy's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going back to that Ken Eldred episode that we did, The Integrated Life, Ken Eldred the book that he wrote, Integrated Life, 
it's being the same person on Sunday that you are with your family, that you that you should be at work, that you should be in the gym, that you should be when you're playing softball or when you're hanging out with the guys, whatever. Our faith really should be integrated in all aspects of our life. Now, you're talking about faith and these deep relationships, and I know there was a, a time as you progressed in your career that your faith was really tested in a very personal way. Uh, if you're okay, I'd love for you to share that and how you move through that. Yeah, um, really, my, my faith journey kind of, be, it, it became very performance oriented. I, I buckled down when I was at Focus. And when, when, I, when I decided that I wanted to stay, I, I buckled down and I, I just busted my hump and I, I outworked everybody. If, if, if something needed to be done on a Saturday, I was there. On the very, 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 very rare occasion that something needed to be recorded on a Sunday, I was first in line. I, I was there that, you know, when, when a catastrophic event happened and we needed to record a broadcast for Monday on a Sunday, I was there. And, and it really, it, it, it catapulted me ahead of a number of people that were there. And when the whole transition happened and Dr. Dobson was ushered off to the sunset, and he felt like he really wasn't done yet. I reached out to him and I said, hey, listen, um, I, I, I've loved working with you the last 12 and a half years. I loved working closely with you for the last probably I think at the time it was like three or four years. And, and, and I said, I, I'd, I'd love to help you start again. I'd love to help you start afresh. And so he offered me a job and I went with him to go help start Family Talk and when he offered me that position, I immediately called my wife and I said, doctors called me. He offered me a position and she said, you need to take it. And I, and, and I, I laid out, I said, listen, do you understand what this means? This means a lot longer hours. This means that chances are we're going to have to hold off, postpone, maybe even completely abandon the idea of adoption because we, we had had two kids. Both of them were very life-threatening pregnancies. We were done having kids, naturally. We, want, we had a real heart for adoption. We wanted one or two more kids. I said, we'll have to hold off on this. Do you understand that You know, for a year or two, this means I'm going to be working a lot? And she said, absolutely, you need to do this. And so I buckled down and I, I busted my hump. And a year into it, I, I was exhausted. I, I was really physically exhausted and we went on this vacation to Pagosa Springs, which is a town in um, southwestern Colorado, known for their hot springs, um, gorgeous area. And on the trip there, my wife was starting to get sick. And this and is your first vacation in years, right? This, this, something, this is, you'd been looking forward to this break and this margin time for... Uh, a long, long, long. Yeah. Time. Yeah. This is really my first real vacation in a year. I, I had taken a few days off to go up to Portland to go see wife's family, but that was it. And so this was the real, the first real vacation. And, and I felt like I needed it. I felt like I really, really needed a vacation. Some time away where I wasn't looking at a computer, where we were out hanging out at hot springs and just, you know, spending some great time as a family. And Elizabeth started to get sick and she got to the point where we had to take her to the emergency room and she was diagnosed with pneumonia. And so here I am in this dark, 
subpar condo in in Pagosa Springs with it it, it, it two literally little, two little boys two boys that are stir crazy that that desperately want to get out yet at the same time though I have a wife with pneumonia and I really can't leave her here to go out for long periods of time and I, I distinctly remember looking at my wife saying I I'm I'm just done I'm done I. I've I busted my hump for Dr. Dobson and and for God really ultimately for 14 years and so this works based mentality that you had that got you ahead professionally that worked at Focus was working at Family Talk it sounds like you were bringing this works based mindset into your relationship with God but it, it, here's the thing though it wasn't working at Family Talk. It worked at focus. It worked well at focus and it served me very well at focus, but it wasn't working at family talk. And it, and it was creating this, just this anxiety and this just overwork burden and exhaustion, a pure physical exhaustion. So you're just in burnout. I, 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 I was really there. I mean, if for, for the two years that I worked at family talk, I could not fall asleep without the aid of an Ambien. I couldn't. And, and I, I would tell people around there that, and they'd be like, Steve, something's wrong. You, you need to, you need to X, you need to Y, but I couldn't. The workload was such that I couldn't. We were doing two daily radio broadcasts with half the staff that I had at focus to do one. And it was just, it was killing me. And I distinctly remember looking at my wife when she got out of the hospital. I distinctly remember looking at my wife saying, I've been busting my hump now for God for 14 years. And all I asked for was a blankety blank vacation. I'm effing done. And she looked at me with such a heartbreak. And she looked at me and she said, are you really, really, really willing to step away from the faith? And I said, Hell yes. And she looked at me with tears streaming down her face. And she said, Steve, you have no idea what this is going to do to our relationship. You have no idea what this is going to do to our marriage. And it was right at that very second that my heart broke because I knew I couldn't leave my wife like that. I wasn't going to leave our marriage, but I knew it was going to sever something in our relationship that would never get back until I came back. And I knew at that point, something had to change. What changed? It was a continuation really of a journey um, back in 2008. And this, the, when this happened, it was 2011. So it was like around February of 2011. And three years earlier, Focus had sent me to Southern Sudan to record audio and video at what was then the only known orphanage for Darfur orphans. And I went over there, I spent about a week and a half on the ground in southern Sudan, which, which is what is now southern Sudan, very close to the Darfur border. And I, I remember just my heart completely changing. I, I, I remember just the joy on the faces of these kids and these widows that have had the worst that humanity could throw at them. Many of these kids saw their parents raped and murdered before their very eyes. Many of these women were raped multiple times by John Jaweed. 
Um, many of them were sold into slavery in the North and escaped. One in particular that, that really stuck, stuck out at me was, um, I don't remember her name, but I, I remember her face. She was a slave in the North, gave birth to a, a, a couple kids through her Arab slave master, successfully escaped, and the Arab slave master tracked her down to where she was hiding in the bush. And because she wouldn't come out, he set the bush on fire. And in an attempt to kill her family, well, the kids were able to escape, but she wasn't. And she lost her, her baby and had massive burns all across her body. She had such joy and such peace in her, in her eyes and in her heart and had forgiven her slave master, the father of the kids, that I, I, was, I was deeply touched. I was very deeply touched. And I came back from that trip really wanting to figure out where the disconnect was for me and my faith and the faith that they had. Because I saw what we were doing at Focus and, and I saw the work and I felt it was good, but I, fe I felt a real disconnect between what I, what I saw around me and what I, where I saw my faith was and the faith that these people in Southern Sudan had. So when you got back from this trip, Steve, what changed in you as you reflected on this experience and in your own almost works-based experience with, with, with God? Well, I really started to just dig in and reread the gospels. I read them over and over and over and over and just really focused on the words of Jesus and said, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I don't want to know what it means to be a Christian because I've seen that for, you know, the 30 plus years that I'd been alive at the time. I, I wanted to know what it really meant to be a real true follower of Jesus. And it really started a journey to really start to deepen my faith. And when I left with Doc to go help start Family Talk, th that deepening was still going on yet at the same time though there, there was and it seemed to be even more I, I was deepening with my faith yet I was also entrenching myself with this works-based mentality and 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 I remember feeling like a hypocrite so often during that two years that I worked at family talk I, I, I here I was working for this ministry that was devoted to the family. Yet when I went home at night, I didn't have enough in the tank for my family. I was doing so much work at home that I, 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 just, I really I felt like an absolute hypocrite and I hated myself. So, Steve, as you were kind of at this crossroads, was there yeah. one moment, was there a key insight that you had that freed you up, broke you loose to move forward to where you are now? There was something that happened and it was a week after your accident. Um, for listeners that may not have heard that episode, I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode number two, John Ramstead's story. Um, to give those that haven't had a chance to listen, just a quick recap. Dr. Dobson had a donor event up in just outside of Great Falls, Montana at a ranch. That's where I met you, John, yep. for the very first time. And the night before your accident, you and I hit it off really well. We were st standing over by this this bar area. We're both Midwestern kids and just kind of BS and giving each other grief and, you know, about the fact that you're a Vikings fan. I'm a Packer fan. And 
It's hard to be a Packers fan, man. They never win. Oh, no. But when your accident happened, um, and for those that don't know the story, John was thrown from his horse into a steel fence, nearly killed. I was the first one to get to him. It was a horrific scene. I came back from that trip in a really weird place because the very next day, Dr. Dobson, somebody who was really an uncle figure to me, not a, not, not a father figure, but an uncle. I, I loved him much like I did my dad's brothers. And I still love him much in the same way. Um, I, Dr. Dobson fell from his horse and was put into the hospital. And there was a point at which, because he was taking Coumadin, which is a blood thinner, we didn't know if he was bleeding out internally. And it turned out that he broke his collarbone, broke his scapula, broke seven ribs, and and really really messed himself up. I came back from that trip having seen two horrific accidents in back-to-back days. I came back from it in a really weird place. And it was up just over a week after I was back. I was taking my son Matthew to school. And for, I'd say, the previous at least eight weeks, probably closer to 10 or 12 weeks, I had heard a song by a band called Under Oath on my heart every single morning when I would wake up. And I I would ask God over and over again, God, what are you trying to tell me with this song? And I would read the lyrics and I would study them and I'd be like, God, what are you trying to tell me? And on this day, September 22nd, 2011, I was driving my son down to school and I was listening to the song. And as the song was building, 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 I was watching this airplane take off from the airport and it was climbing, climbing, climbing. And they almost seemed to be in sync where as the song would start to increase, the airplane would start to would continue to climb up and up. And right at the point, the guitars made a hard right turn as the airplane made a turn. And I heard the Holy Spirit say in my spirit, not audibly, but, but in my spirit, I heard this is your career. And I remember saying, okay, what else? I need something a little bit more. Come on. What, what exactly does this mean? Does this mean I'm, I'm totally changing careers? Does this mean that I'm pursuing an idea that I've got? What, 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 do, you exact, what do you mean, God? I need something a little bit more. Crickets. But I did see a sign about a mile later, a road sign, and, and my heart was pricked when I saw it. It was one of those little orange road signs that said, slow down, work ahead. Hmm. And so I got into work and I dropped my son off and I got into work. And I literally felt like the hedge of protection that was over my career, the previous 14 and a half years was lifted and it went from bad to worse in terms of conflict because everyone was so overworked, overstressed. Everyone just really seemed to be at each other's throats in, in the broadcasting team. At least there were three of us that left focus broadcasting and all three of us were super tight at focus. And when we left and it really seemed like there was a lot of conflict and my last two months that I was there, it was so bad that I lost 20 pounds. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was throwing up multiple times a day. And it got to the point where people around me started telling me, Steve, you need to leave. You need to leave for your health. My doctor included said, Steve, you need to go. And on March 6th, 2012, I stepped out of the boat and I turned in my resignation and said, okay, God, take me wherever you want me to go. Take me. 
So what did it take for that step of faith for you? My pastor gave this great analogy and, and, and I shared it on the Kevin Adams episode. Um, my, my pastor spent a good deal of time working as a small church pastor in Wyoming, as well as Haines, Alaska. And so he's a big outdoorsman, loves to hunt, loves to fish. Um, his house is just decorated with all his trophies, mountain goats, bears. It, he, he loves to hunt. And, and he told me this story. He said, Steve, when a mother eagle builds her nest, those things are huge. They're about six feet wide and they're and big sticks are used to make them. And so in order to make a bed that is proper for the eggs to be laid, she'll start to pluck down out of her coat and lay it down in the nest to kind of provide that soft bedding. But as those baby eaglets start to grow and start to mature, the mother eagle will instinctively start to remove down from the nest and start to make that nest a little more uncomfortable, a little more uncomfortable, a little more uncomfortable to the point where those eaglets need to fly. And my pastor looked at me and he said, Steve, that's exactly what God's doing right now. He's making the nest, this nest that he's birthed you in. That you were so comfortable in. That I was so comfortable in. He's making it so uncomfortable. He's letting you know you have to step out of the nest. And it was that plus my family around me, plus really Doc finding out, honestly, truthfully, Doc found out I was looking for a job. And Doc comes from that old school mentality that, you know, if somebody's looking for a job, they're not good to you here. So let's just finish that transition. And it was, I've got a great letter of recommendation from him. I love him. He and I still talk, but it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, it, it, it is time. It is time. You know, it's interesting. It's like our, our previous episode with Lance Wall now, and he's talking about seasons of your life that lead you toward this convergence of finding out who God created you to be and what's that purpose and how you marry those two together. And Lance's teaching is how do you just get the the best out of every season of your life? How do you become the person you need to be through that season of your life? In this season of your life, Steve, now you're on the edge of this nest and the mother eagle has pushed you out to go fly. And I know this has brought you, if people knew who you are today in your heart, to just this wonderful relationship of just faith and trust and just personal relationship with Christ. Maybe just share how that came together. I'm sure a lot of people can really relate to the story they've just heard. Well, I I think a big thing for me was that first day that I was out of the nest, I actually read two books in one day. Actually, I read one full book and then I started a second one. Um, the first one was Breaking the Religious Spirit by Tommy Femorite. And the other one was a book by Chris Vallotton called Supernatural Ways of Royalty. And in that, Chris talks about a story of while he was working at Bethel in Reading and his assistant came to him and said, do you not understand how big of a jerk you can be sometimes, how people look up to you and how you can cut them down with your words. And he didn't really think much of it, but he had a dream that night where God spoke to him and quoted Proverbs 30 verses 21 and 22 under three things, the earth quakes and under four, it cannot bear up under a pauper when he becomes a king. And Chris was convicted immediately when he woke up because of his childhood and because of where he grew up, because of the abuse, he never saw himself 
in that kind of relationship where God was molding him to be a king, he always internally saw himself as a servant. And I immediately was convicted because I held a lot of stuff in my life where I didn't feel worthy, where I didn't feel like I deserved to be at the level where I was to be so close to Doc. I didn't feel like I deserved to be in a place where, you know, here I was rubbing shoulders with the greats of the Christian faith. And that to me was probably one of the biggest turning points for me was really starting to figure out that I'm not just a servant of God, but as scriptures say, I'm a co-heir. You're the son of a, you're the son of a king. I'm, I'm, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And what exactly does that mean to have that kind of a relationship with God? And it really pushed me to that point where, okay, God, I'm open to anything. I'm open to wherever it is that you want to take me. And it took me into financial advising, which is something where I, I'm, I'm quite frankly, I'm amazed that God's, that God's taken me. So, Steve, I know you were open to whatever God had for you next, and he led you in a direction that you never expected, and that was as a financial advisor, um, because I had had a very large practice and had the, the, the privilege to mentor you, yes. and it was a natural fit for you. I saw you taking out your all everything that you've learned being around these giants of the faith and bringing that out into your clients' lives and sowing into them and just the place you're at and how you're serving people now with the arrows pointed outward uh, is a very different place than you were in before in a, oh, in a career you never so. thought you'd be in. I, I never thought I would have been. And in fact, for the first five months that I, that I was unemployed trying to figure out, okay, God, where, where do you want me to go? I had a number of people tell me, Steve, you should look at being a financial advisor. And they bring up all the stats, you know, the average age of financial advisors is in their late fifties, early sixties. And there's not enough young guys coming in and you, you have the personality, you'd be able to do it. Finally, when I started to, to consider it, I remember calling you and, and you told me, you said, hey, brother, if you lived up here in Denver, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. And I was like, whoa, here, here's, a, here's a dude I really, really respect. I really admire who's built a very successful advising practice. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can. And. It turns out that exactly, I found out well after the fact that one year to the day after God told me my career was going to change was the day that I submitted my application to start with Transamerica. And I've ultimately moved on to work at Precision Wealth Management here in Colorado Springs. Cambridge is our broker dealer. But, but I've really found a, a sweet spot when it comes to working with people and bringing all that wisdom that I got from that 15 years of working for Doc of listening to Chuck Colson when Chuck Colson would be on, of listening to all these greats of the faith and really being able to come alongside of people and really help them out, not just financially, but also spiritually. That's, that's, that's been rewarding. And, and, then, and then to have people all during that first two years tell me, hey, Steve, I don't think God's done with you in radio and media, and then try and figure out, okay, what could this look like? Because the traditional way that advisors do it is they go on the radio and, and they spew advice and, and they become the expert. Well, that really didn't intrigue me at all. That really didn't interest me at all. And when the idea for this show kind of birthed simultaneously in each of our hearts, just about, I'd say almost a year ago, it's been, it's been a fun journey. It's been a fun ride. It has been a blast, hasn't it? 
and yeah. to be around you even more has been a joy because I admire you and my wife loves you and my mother-in-law the couple times that she's met you <laughs> she loves you she's like Steve you found the perfect person to partner with on this idea well I appreciate that and we feel the same about you and your family and you know I wish we had more time but, you know as we wrap up here Steve yeah. what, are, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to just leave with people the last time that I preached at my church, my pastors had me preach a couple times at my church. The last time that I preached, I preached about love. And Jesus said in Matthew that basically the entire Bible boils down to love God, love people. Those are the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. We do those two things. I don't think we can go wrong. Wow, what a great way to wrap up. Steve, thank you so much for just being vulnerable and authentic and just sharing from your heart today. Thanks, bud. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, go to eternalleadership.com slash 044. That's eternalleadership.com slash 044. And for an easy way to get to that page, if you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, just click on this episode summary and you'll see the link right there. As I said at the top, one of my top two love languages is words of affirmation. So an extra thank you to everyone that's shared this on social media or have sent us notes about how this show has impacted you. Thank you. Next time on Eternal Leadership, John and I had a chance to sit down with world-renowned speaker and New York Times bestselling author, Tommy Spaulding. This networking craze that we have in our society, I, I, I want to change that and I want to challenge America and challenge people listening to this podcast that to not to embrace networking, but to embrace net giving. And that's something I talk about in my first book is the power of building authentic relationships to help and serve others. And when you can build a business on net giving, the incredible thing is, is when you serve others, it's incredible how God works is that they serve you 10 times back and your businesses actually grow if you have a genuine authentic heart to serve other people tommy is the author of it's not just who you know and the heart-led leaders which is coming up this fall this is one i wish i could have been a part of as there are questions i would have wanted to ask it's it's really good for john ramstead i'm steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to eternal leadership 